0: Welcome, everybody, to episode two. This is where I sit down with Coach John Potenza. He is a lifetime martial artist and has opened many successful gyms from the ground up on the East Coast. Then he packed up shop, headed out west to Prescott, Arizona, and started a successful MMA gym called Average Joe's MMA. I had a great time talking with him and knowing more about his background from his striking arts to the grappling side that he learned from Billy Robinson and Eric Paulson. I hope everyone enjoys this episode and thank you for the support, as always. Also, if you guys like the episode, share with others and support both John with his business adventures and me with this podcast by subscribing. Thank you for continuing to listen to Leave It Deceivers. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Leave It Deceivers podcast. Today, I am joined with my guest, John Potenza. He is the owner and operator of Average Joe's MMA in Prescott, Arizona, and he is the founder of Old School Grappling Catch Wrestling Association. John, how's it going? It's going
1: good, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. Uh, you've helped me a lot uh, so far with my kickstart and catch wrestling, and uh, I'm honored to have you uh, as a guest and as a teacher in catch as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So let's get started. Um, so where, where did you grow up and what was your, what was your childhood like? So I, I grew up
1: in uh, Brooklyn, New York. I'm originally a Brooklyn boy. And, uh, I lived there until I was probably like, uh, I guess 10 or 11. And we well, maybe a little younger than that. Then we moved out to Staten Island, New York, uh, which is a little more, a little less city, you know, a little closer to a little bit more of a suburb kind of thing. I lived out there, uh, most of my life, you know, grew, pretty much grew up out there until, uh, until I got married and, uh, it was pretty cool. I liked it a lot. You know, Brooklyn was awesome. I, I lived there. Like I said, as, as a kid and I, I worked there for a long time. Most of my, most of my, uh, professional career before moving over to martial arts full time. And, uh, you know, Brooklyn is Brooklyn. It, it's, it's a really cool place. There's uh great Italian food. You know, <laughs> you can get good pizza anywhere. Uh, it's a little, little tough to come by out here in Prescott, Arizona, but, uh, but yeah, so we kind of miss all that stuff. But and Staten Island, Staten Island was a really cool place too. Uh like I said, a little more of a, a suburb type place and uh just a cool, cool place overall. Pretty, pretty high-paced, hustle and bustle kind of New York attitude everywhere you went there. So everything is always, you know, everybody walks fast, talks fast, drives fast, and you know, everything's high speed all the time. So uh it was interesting growing up uh in that environment, and then you know. Later on down the road, moving out here to Prescott, Arizona, where everything is kind of a much more slower country pace. And I kind of love it. Personally, I love this slow pace, especially after coming out of the lifetime of high speed in New York, you know. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty cool living out there. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, cool. yeah. I- that's definitely. I, I'm a fan of the the slower pace living too. Um, so I don't like going to our uh, city. Um, right. What did you do like in your childhood? Did you did you have any sports or hobbies? I know you have a long list of uh, achievements in the martial arts world. Um, did did you start that in your childhood, or did you play other sports?
1: Yeah. So it, it, you know I played like schoolyard sports. You know, me and my buddies would always you know, play stickball, baseball, football, whatever. Just in the you know the local you know schoolyards or fields or wherever else, I never was a, a sports team kind of guy. I got into martial arts. Um, technically, I started when I was nine. I don't really count it, but I I had a very short short stint when I was nine doing some traditional karate. Uh, then I stopped it and I was training in my basement. I started training in my basement at about nine years old. Um, we had a pretty nice sized basement and in our house, and I had a heavy bag and some weights and all kinds of stuff that even at a young age, and I was always just training down there. And I initially started my martial art career at 11 years old. This is going back to 1981. I'm old, so uh, don't judge. <laughs> but okay. I started back in 81. And it was, I was 11 years old. I started martial arts then. And that's been my thing forever. I mean, since 39 years now, this is my 39th year in the martial arts. And uh, that's always been my thing was, uh, I've always been a big fan of solo sports where it's all on you. I never really liked the whole uh, – you know, the one aspect about – I like team sports and I like the fact of having teams. I didn't like the fact that if I messed up, I can mess up the whole team. Or if they messed up, they messed it up for me. And I didn't like that. I like everything being on my shoulders. So I always, I always geared myself toward solo sports where it was all on me. So if I did great, I did great. If I messed up, I messed up. But there was no one to blame, no one to point fingers at. It was all me. So that was always kind of my direction as far as sports goes and, and growing up and all um you know i had fun playing all of those sports with everybody else you know just on the side but never a part of a league or, or an official team anything like that
0: yeah yeah so uh did you have any influences who who influenced you to uh get into martial arts uh, i know that's a big part of your life so we can touch on that mostly uh or just uh life in general who are your biggest influences so in general my life in general
1: uh, you know, two of my biggest, biggest influences in my life are my dad. Um, you know, growing up, uh, my parents split when I was young, uh, you know, about 10 years old, they, they split. And, uh, but even still, I lived with my mom, but my dad was always, you know, that role model. He was that, that man's man, fix anything, you know, get anything done, you know, no, no, no excuse to just make shit happen, you know. Him and my Uncle Johnny, who I grew up pretty much half my life in his house, my father's brother um, he was my, my other big influence. He was, you know, him and my aunt bro, they stayed together and, you know, great family, great. And me and his, uh, their kids were great, you know, really good friends. My, my cousin, Joey's pretty much like my second, you know, second family. He's my brother more or less from, uh, from another mother, you know? So, uh, my uncle Johnny was a huge influence on me. He's a firefighter, New York firefighter, tough, tough dude. And, uh, funny as could be, friendly as could be, you know, always, always out to help somebody, always the first one to put a hand out to, to give somebody a need. So those are my biggest influences, uh, as far as life goes, you know, my dad and my uncle, uh, they were the biggest ones in my martial art career. I would say Eric Paulson is probably one of my biggest influences and Billy Robinson, of course, who I trained with later in my career, but I started training with Eric Paulson back in the late nineties, early 2000. I got my coach level one under Eric and 2000 I think it was uh or somewhere in that time frame so I've been training with him for 20 years and he's another just a huge influence in life and career and and everything you know so uh just a good good guy really good friendly caring guy quick to help out people and you know that's been a big influence on me because I I take a lot of pride in trying to help people and work with people and uh you know just kind of give back to the community that's I think that's what a, a martial artist should be.
0: That's what I'm striving to be. Uh, That's what you quickly realize when you get on the mats or in any martial art. It's not just to learn that skill level, but it's also to learn the humble part of it and uh, helping people outside of that gym as well. Absolutely. As a as a younger person, uh, did you besides you know you mentioned your parents got a divorce and they split? Did you have any other obstacles or struggles that you faced, and uh, how'd you overcome those? uh, at a young age um,
1: you know the biggest probably the biggest thing for me was you wouldn't guess if i looked at me now but back when i was younger i was super skinny man i was you know tall skinny lanky spindly looking kid and uh you know a lot of people look at you as a skinny kid and they think they can make you easy prey you know they, they think they can pick on you fortunately i had a lot of pent-up anger and aggression <laughs> yeah and uh you know, and, and a lifetime of, of training martial arts, and, you know, I started my training, like I said, early, early on in my basement, just working from some old, you know, martial arts books and stuff, but I was able to able to handle my own from the beginning, but, in, you know, as a young kid, being a, you know, skinny little scrawny kid, I got picked on a little bit, and, you know, I had to stand up for myself, and fortunately, I was able to do that and kind of establish my place in our little neighborhood society, whatever, and uh, that came to a quick end, but, but yeah, being, uh, being a skinny kid is, is a little tough. Being, you know, being in New York, it's, it's an easy, uh, easy target for a lot of people to mess with you. But I kept training, and uh, immediately, you know, as soon as I started weight training, I started working out really hard, trying to get bigger, stronger, faster, better, plus my martial art training. And that all helped, you know, it kind of helped mold me into where I am now.
0: I know what you mean about being skinny, because when I was a sophomore, I weighed 103, so... I, I didn't hit my growth spurt until after high school. Right. In high school, did you, uh, did you do any grappling as far as like wrestling for your team? Or did you just solely focus on the martial arts outside of, the, outside of high school?
1: Yeah, so I didn't start wrestling until after high school. Uh, during high school, I was still in, you know, into martial arts and doing my own thing. and I was doing predominantly striking arts at that time and mixing in a little bit of judo and uh, kind of dabbling in some judo with that. But um I didn't I didn't really get into the team thing. Like I said before, it was just wasn't my thing. Uh looking back now, I wish I would have joined the wrestling team back in high school or junior high even. But who knew? You know, back then I was, you know, more toward the striking side of things. So that was more of my uh my general direction. So yeah, school was just kinda pretty it was cool. It was fun. I hung out with a with a fun crowd, you know, pretty rough and tumble kind of crowd and, and we spent more time outside of school than we did in school, <laughs> which you know, led to summer school every year and, and uh, getting in trouble a lot. But, um, you know, that, that all turns out to be life lessons down the road, which is great because as a coach now, I can pass on a lot of my knowledge to my students who are doing the same dumb shit I was doing back when I was in high school. And I could tell them, hey, man, this is how this is going to end out. I, I can tell you from personal experience, don't do this because it's going to end badly for you. So, you know, that was my, my high school career was uh, not, not really the best student in the world. And uh, I, you, you, you couldn't pay me to keep me in the classroom. Yeah. I just didn't like it at all. So I spent most of my time hanging out in the corner with my friends getting in trouble. But, uh, but in
0: the end, it worked out well. Like I said, it's,
1: I could really help a lot of people from my past mistakes.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I knew from kindergarten all the way through high school, I knew every vice principal and principal. So I, I know what you're <laughs> talking about. So you said uh, you, you, you started in the striking realm of martial arts. Um, uh, do you still do striking or did you mostly transition into the grappling world?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question because a lot of people know me for catch wrestling. That's what I'm most known for probably in the, in the modern martial art world right now. But, yeah, I've been striking since the beginning. And uh, I was a striker before I was a grappler, and I still – practice and train striking today. I I do uh, Muay Thai, I do Sabat. Uh, I do uh, Sabat Thai cross-training with Eric Paulson, which is a mix of Muay Thai, Sabat, Western boxing, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I've done traditional karate, you know, different styles of of karate and and striking arts like that. So uh, I've had Kung Fu backgrounds, and I've mixed in all kinds of stuff, but I do still train and teach striking today. I have fighters that train and fight in Muay Thai events and kickboxing events. Uh, as well as MMA guys and grapplers, of course. But um, I, I'm a, to me, I'm a martial artist first, fighter second. I believe that a martial artist needs to have an open mind, and you have to be able to incorporate anything into your game and accept anything. You know, so it, there's so much to learn in the martial art world. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm 39 years in the martial arts now, and I'm still learning. I mean, like learning a lot. So it, it's really cool to when you dive into these other styles, like if you're doing catch wrestling and striking like i am there's so much to learn on both ends of the spectrum and then once you learn a lot in each, you start to try and tie it together and it just then opens up a whole new box of things to learn and, and how to strategize and you know make everything work as one and, and jive it all together so yeah and, you know i think striking is, is just a lot of fun i love it i really do enjoy it
0: nice uh you said uh you've been working with eric paulson for 20 years how huh? How'd that come about? how you uh, did you seek him out, or did you guys meet somewhere? That uh, you know, because I think he's he's an awesome instructor. I haven't personally met him, but I, I watch a lot of his videos, and he he has a, a, a different style. Um, he 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 likes to he's like a melting pot of all styles. Um, yeah. um, how how that uh, how that situation come about?
1: So when I started uh, when I started grappling. I was pretty fortunate uh, in my grappling endeavors because when I was, I was doing my martial arts stuff and uh, my karate stuff and striking and kickboxing and judo and doing all this different stuff, and then I, I took a style called Vada Kempo. Vada Kempo karate is not Kempo and it's not karate. <laughs> it's its own style. It's a hybrid thing. It was basically MMA before MMA it was cool. You know, we were doing MMA-type stuff back in the 90s, you know, early 90s, like, you know, 80, 89, 90, 91, 92, in that time frame. We were doing punch, kick, takedown, submit, and all deal. And I was very fortunate, and the instructors I had during that time frame, uh, they were tough, tough guys, and uh, a couple of them had really good wrestling backgrounds and grappling backgrounds. So when I initially started my MMA type of training, I was exposed to this wrestling background from the beginning, and plus my previous training with everything else, it kind of made sense for me to go that direction. So as I started looking for grappling, I was seeing different things. There was Japanese jiu-jitsu. There was Brazilian jiu-jitsu. There was judo and sambo and all this stuff. And I stumbled across catch wrestling. and I was like, wow, this is perfect. This is what I need to do. And it fit my, it just fit my style overall as a, as a person and as a martial arts practitioner. So I started doing catch, training it mostly from, you know, books and videos and whatever I could find. I'd travel out to wherever I can, find somebody who was doing catch at the time. This is back, you know, way back in the day. And then I stumbled across Eric Paulson. Somebody said, hey man, Eric Paulson is going to be, out in a local gym over here doing a seminar. I think you need to go train with this guy. He's like a perfect match for your style. I said, that sounds great. I mean, you know, sounds like a good good fit. So I went out and I did the seminar with him. And immediately, I mean, immediately, as soon as I met him and we started training, I said, man, this guy's got the right attitude. He's a great, you know, super, super technical instructor, but a lot of fun to train with. He's, you know, energetic and he's athletic and he's got all these crazy different ideas of, of how to put things together that flowed perfectly with my style of training up to that point. And we just hit it off. You know, we, we, right from the beginning, we came, became friends. And, uh, you know, from that point forward, I said, yeah, I'm going to train with this guy, you know, you know,
0: wherever, wherever
1: I can, whenever I can, I would do any seminar within a, a you know three hour drive of my house. Uh, I would drive out to do any seminar he was at and I would fly out to California to his coat to, uh, back then it was the pro fight camps. And it would be, you know, a few days of, we get there on like Wednesday or Thursday and we train Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever. And we do this, these fight camps out there and he'd have, uh, you know, he would teach and Dan and would be there. Greg Nelson would be there. And, uh, Higgy Machado would be there. and Nikolai Saniak would be there and all these like phenomenal top of the top of the line martial arts instructors would be there. And we would do the whole, you know, three, four or five days, but however long we were there for of training with all these amazing instructors. And it just, you know, just kind of all just blossomed into this great thing. And, uh, yeah, you know, we became really good friends over the years, and and I really you know look up to him, respect him as as my friend, instructor, and mentor. Um, you know, I credit a lot of my game to to Coach Paulson for sure.
0: Nice. Is that uh is that one reason why you went to Arizona, or what was the reason why you went to Arizona? Packed up shop in the New York area and headed out west. So I'll give you a funny story too to go with this with my whole move to Arizona.
1: Um, but yeah, we no actually Arizona was more of uh, we wanted to get out of the city. We were done with, you know, at the time, then we at that point, we were living in New Jersey, and uh, just I was just done with, with the high speed, the high pace, the chaos, the craziness. I just wanted to kind of find some place, a little slower pace, a little more freedom is what I was looking for. And uh, we had a couple of places in mind. We thought about maybe Tennessee, um, but it got a little – it was a little too humid down there for me. And then we thought maybe Texas, but it didn't have the mountains that I wanted. And then we came to Arizona, and uh, – we started out looking in Phoenix and Phoenix is kind of, you know, it's hot and it's, it's not kind of hot. It's extremely hot, uh, but it's beautiful. And then we looked up North from there and we found Prescott and Prescott is just absolutely gorgeous, man. There's, we got mountains where uh, elevation is 5,500 feet. So we're a mile high. Uh, it's a lot cooler than Phoenix. And we have mountains, but we have a lot of sunshine, a lot of, you know, hot days and nice, nice weather. And we have freedom. I'm a big, uh, I'm a hunter. I'm a hiker. I'm a, a, you know, kayaker. I like to be, I'm an outdoorsman. So, I'm an avid shooter. I like to go out shooting. So, Arizona just was the right place for me where I can do my hunting, my uh, shooting, my hiking, uh, ride my dirt bikes, whatever. It all just kind of fit the bill. So, we decided, you know, Prescott was for us. And the story to go with this move was when we came here, we weren't really sure where we were going to go. We bought an RV. We, we bought a 35 foot Class A, this big RV camper thing. I rented a trailer from U uh, Haul. I threw my my Jeep on the back of the trailer and we just packed up all our shit and we shipped uh, one container full of shit down to uh phoenix to a storage yard down there and we packed up everything else we could into the rv and we just drove across country we, we drove down to florida visited family and we made our way across country and we figured we'll stop at different places along the way and wherever it feels like home we'll set up shop and we'll see how it goes we completely rolled the dice we, we got here to arizona I had no no work lined up we had no jobs lined up. We had no house picked out. We had nothing. We we just completely just rolled out, you know, rolled the dice, and we were like like the old school wild west people, you know, packing up their wagon and heading out west. That's pretty much what we did. Uh, it was pretty crazy, but we got to Arizona. We we stopped in uh, a couple of different towns, and they were nice. We liked them, but when we got to, to Prescott, we were like, yeah, this is the place for us. So we we lived in the uh, we actually lived in the camper for a couple of months to make sure we liked it here, and then once we decided we liked it, we rented a house we had a rental house for a few years and then uh then we bought our house out here and now here we are a permanent fixture of uh, of prescott arizona
0: yeah that's how my parents did it they um uh, they they packed up they had a trailer and they camped a lot but they took a a whole country trip you know through all the states up to north dakota wisconsin michigan and wrapped it around to alabama and through texas Arizona, uh, Nevada, and they, they found Pahrump, Nevada, and that's, that's how they landed on that too, so um, I think that's a cool way, because for one, you get to, you get to see a lot of America, and not just the city aspects, because the East Coast and the West Coast, you know, that's, that's a whole different animal of what America is, but, you know, I think the true America is is in the middle, you know. Uh, It's, uh,
1: yeah, different, definitely different everywhere you go,
0: It is, Um, so you had a business, a martial arts business in New York, correct? Uh, New Jersey, yeah, New Jersey. Jersey. So that was obviously that was probably pretty successful and then then you packed that, you shut that down to open one up in Arizona. Uh, What kind of hardships did you face um, starting the one in New Jersey and then also since you already had a game plan um, did you have any hardships starting a new one in Arizona?
1: So, yeah, we, uh, we started our gym in, in uh, New Jersey. Modern Martial Arts Fight Club was the name of the gym. And uh, it was – we kind of took a leap of faith uh, and rented out a small space. We subleased from somebody for a little bit, and we said, well, you know, let's give this a shot. I've been training, you know, my whole life up to that point. I had been teaching for, you know, over a decade at that point. And uh, I said, you know what? This is really what I want to do. I, I love this. I was still working full time at the electric company, and I said, you know what? Let's do this, man. Let's let's give it a shot. So we opened up our gym out there, subleasing, and uh, that in itself getting started was tough. You know, it was a little tricky getting started with you know no one knew what we, who we were, what we were doing yet. We're kind of a new to the area. We have, we'd only lived in New Jersey for a couple of years at that point. Um, but uh, yeah, we we opened up and we got a couple of students and. Little by little, it kind of blew up, and we got a bigger space. We had a second space for about a year in a little warehouse. We had, like, a little warehouse thing. We, lived, we stayed there for about a year uh, teaching out of that place. And then word got out that what we were doing, we were teaching. At, at the time, I was teaching all different stuff. I was teaching, like, six nights a week, and I was teaching three different styles, three different classes a night, most usually different styles. We would do, like, kickboxing and uh, MMA one night. We would do just catch wrestling one night uh with a conditioning class of boxing and then we do aikido and weapons on the weekends and uh, all kinds of different those all i had a whole different crazy schedule anyhow um that led us to fill up this warehouse gym and we took a bigger leap and said you know what let's buy a building and we're gonna we bought a building in, in main street english town new jersey and uh we opened up our real school there. i was the first real location for model martial arts and uh being a smaller school that Had a you know pretty sizable overhead. The biggest challenge, of course, like always, was getting students coming in. But even bigger than that was the fact that all the bigger gyms were coming in. So we were there, we were the first MMA gym in central New Jersey. There was no one else around us, we were the only one doing MMA at the time. And uh, then little by little, LA Boxing moved in. You know, people had the big talk of the town was, Oh man, LA Boxing is moving in, they're gonna crush you guys, and this and that we outlasted LA boxing. Then the UFC gym came in. Oh man, UFC is going to crush you guys. And yeah. Little gym stayed strong, man. We kept on, kept on moving forward and growing and competing and training and fighting. And we lasted with the UFC gym. No problem at all. You know, then there was other, you know, other big gyms. So we had all these big box gyms coming in, moving all around us. And our, our membership would waver for a second and everybody would come back because we had this super cool tight knit group of people. And, uh, we had a really hard work ethic. I mean, we worked really, really hard in that gym. We, I think we, we have a total of. Uh, I have to count up totally to be exact, we have 23 or 24 title belts out of that gym uh, in the 18 years that I ran that. I ran the gym for 18 years, and um, so we had we had a lot of success out of that place. But the biggest challenge was, you know, being able to go toe to toe with these big box gyms and uh, their marketing because they had marketing money, which is tremendous, and we didn't because we were small, small gym, just trying to make our way. So it was kind of a a tricky situation, but we let uh, we let our presence be our marketing. So we we had a super active fight team. We we always we have a huge huge uh, group of fighters and and supporters come out every time we fight, and that would always help us get a a, you know more students coming in and more people bringing attention to our gym. And you know a lot of lot of success came from uh, from our tight knit family of that gym. And then with that, when we left. I came out to Arizona, and same thing all over again. I didn't, you know, didn't know anybody. Uh, only person I knew out here in Prescott at the time was Eric Prindle. And if you don't know who Eric Prindle is, Google him. Uh, he's he won the Bellator heavyweight championship uh, tournament a while back. Um, he's a monster. He's about six foot six, three hundred fifteen pounds with abs. And he trained. I met him at Eric Paulson's gym back a few years before I came out to Arizona. So when I was getting ready to come out, I talked to prindle a few times i said hey man this is, i'm planning on moving out there and you know can you give me a heads up with, with what's out there and he kind of guided me a little bit on you know what to expect with the area of prescott and everything and uh he said hey when you come out would you train me and i said yeah of course i'd, tra- I'd love to train you I, you know i'm looking forward to getting started out there when i come out i already had the name average joe's gym planned out for my gym when i moved out here i know it's an open average joe's so I said, yeah no problem you know we will start training when i get out here so literally the day after I got to Arizona, I started training Eric Crindle, uh privately. We just doing private training, and we were using the space at of a, a small gym that used to be here, uh, Prescott, Prescott MMA was, uh, was a small gym here, and I would use their place during the mornings. I would train Eric you know, a few days a week, three, four days a week, and we'd train for a couple hours, and I'd throw the guy a couple bucks to let me use his space. We did that for a little while, then I had a couple more guys that wanted to train, then a couple more guys wanted to train. And before you know it, I had this little fight team started up and uh, we were subleasing that at his place. And I said, you know what, um, this is getting pretty good. We'll, we'll start to organize a little more of a, a class rather than just a, a fight team. And as we did that, unfortunately, Prescott MMA went out of business. But what that did was it kind of pushed us forward to find another spot. And we found another spot in a gymnastics place. We kind of, lived out of there for a little bit as far as our fight team goes and we trained at this gymnastics place for about a year or so and then unfortunately they went out of business so when they went out we said you know what let's get our own space we found our own separate location uh right in the, a great spot right now and we opened up average joe's as a full-on mma catch wrestling kickboxing gym and uh it kind of just grew fast man it was it grew faster than i planned i really didn't expect it to take off as fast as it did but um you know once we got rocking and rolling man it just it just took off and uh really blessed to, to have all these good people to train with and it just kind of really just took on its own shape it's pretty cool
0: it's an awesome story um i mean you built two successful gyms uh when uh how old were you uh when you took that leap of faith of just saying hey i have full faith in uh my, my martial arts ability and coaching. Um, I'm going to quit my job and go this path.
1: So that, that all took place. Uh, I was, well, I opened my gym. I was still doing, I worked full time. We opened the first gym and I still worked for another, uh, another eight, eight or nine years after that. I worked full time every day and I ran my gym full time. So I was doing six nights a week training in my, in my gym. And working full-time during the day for, I did it for a long time. Uh, and I, I wound up leaving, uh, leaving the electric company. I was, it was later on. I was probably uh, in my mid thirties when I finally took that, you know, that full step and it was, you know, kind of a crazy deal. And boy, we jumped over full-time and uh, never looked back, you know, once, once we got rolling. But it was, uh, it was a lot to juggle, working full-time and, and running a gym full-time was a, a lot to juggle. But um, then we wound up opening a, a second location while I was still working full-time when I was in New Jersey. we had, we had four gyms at one time in New Jersey. Um, well, three in Jersey and one in Florida all at the same time. And uh, it all kind of happened almost by accident. I had my, my gym in, in English Town, New Jersey. And my judo instructor at the time, Bob McKim, was a phenomenal coach, an awesome guy. He used to train out of another gym up in North Jersey called Judo Kai. And uh, the head instructor there, uh, Sensei George Hamlin, who was the, like, the most badass of badass guys I've met in my life. The guy was, like, 70-something years old, you know, 70 years old, big barrel-chested, chiseled jaw. I mean, just an animal of a man. Even at that age, he was an animal. And uh, he was closing down his gym, and, and – he asked uh, my sense of Bob McKim if, if he knew anyone that wanted to take it over. So Bob told me, hey, listen, you know, Sensei like Hamlin's moving and closing up his gym. Do you want to take it over? I said, you know what? I don't really plan on having a second gym, but I'll roll the dice. Let's give, let's give it a shot. So I opened that. I took that place over from, from the Judo Kai and turned it into Modern Martial Arts Woodbridge. And uh, and it, it turned into, like, this whole, a whole other thing, which was phenomenal. Um, we We had this... North, north New Jersey School in, in, the, in Woodbridge and the South New Jersey School in Englishtown, And uh, Sensei Hamlin lived right across the street from the Woodbridge School. And he, he'd see me come in there after work. So I was working full-time and juggling these two schools. And uh, I'd leave work in New York. I'd, leave, I'd work in New York and my school's in Jersey. I'd drive into, to New Jersey and I would just stop at Woodbridge because it was north of where my house was. So I'd, I'd just stop there and I'd hang out there for two hours before my classes started. And then we would train all night. Then I would go home after that. So on, Sensei Handler would see me pull in, and uh, he'd come across the street. He'd say, hey, how are you guys doing? I'm doing all right, whatever. You know, start shooting the breeze. And he'd say, hey, let me show you something. Anytime that guy would say, hey, let me show you something, I knew I was in for a world of hurt, man. He was, <laughs> he was just one of those old-school tough dudes. And he would slam me to the ground with just no regard for my body at all and put me in some crazy submission. And I, I'd start to tap. And, I'm like, hey, and I, as soon as i start to tap, he'd be like, hey, no, don't tap yet. I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> that was the old school mentality. I was like, man, you're breaking my shit, man.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. that was a complete animal. He was so, so much fun to train with, though. He'd come in all the time and always messing with me and, and uh, but sharing some phenomenal knowledge. I mean, the guy was, he was really super cool. So we had those two schools going while I was still working full time. Then I had the harebrained idea to open a third school in New Jersey in south Jersey, south of the English Town School. And we juggled all three of those while working full time. And then a buddy of mine, actually, another sensei from the old judokai, moved out to Florida, and he wanted to open a gym out there. So we opened up Modern Martial Arts in Melbourne, Florida, and Sensei Dave Sweeter ran that gym. He was another just animal of a man. Just, you know, he he was in his, I think, 50s or 60s at that point, but just a beast. I mean, the guy was powerlifting and doing all kinds of marathons and just just an animal, but super technical, you know, really good guys. And uh, so we had melbourne florida wall new jersey english town new jersey and woodbridge new jersey all fighting all, all flying the modern martial arts matter while i was running full-time at the electric company
0: now <laughs> the this is—this wasn't just your adventure too right uh you had uh your wife to help you out with all of this right because working a yeah. full-time job and trying to run all these gyms that, that could be quite the handful so you, you had a, a great helping hand
1: absolutely yeah i was very fortunate Uh, When I met my wife, we first started dating. I told her from the very first day, I said, "Hey, listen, you know, this is what I do. This is I'm I'm a martial artist. It's a package deal. If we're gonna go out, we're gonna date. Whatever, you're gonna we're gonna have to balance my training with our relationship. That's all part of it, you know, the package deal." And she was super cool from the go. She said, "Yeah, I'm with it. That's, That's all right. You know, we'll balance it out." And we started training right from the beginning. As soon as we started dating, I started, you know, teaching her how to how to. Train, how to fight, how to move. We work in stick fighting drills, knife fighting drills, and striking and grappling, all kinds of stuff. And uh, so she was just super hooked into it right from the beginning. She loved it, and she would come to seminars with me, and, and we train. And uh, a quick side story, just a funny side story. Right after we started dating, and I, was, I, the first day I taught her how to throw a punch, we were working on right crosses in, in my basement, and uh, we went out to a club that night in New Jersey. And we we're hanging out a whole bunch of us were out there and uh we're in this club and, and me and my friends were we were pretty rowdy back in the day we fight a lot in the clubs and bars and stuff and uh, whatever and uh we're hanging out in this club and walking through me and my wife sandra at the time we were just dating and we're walking through the club and some guy grabbed her and touched her kind of inappropriately and she was behind me i didn't know this she turned and she punched this guy right in the mouth and knocked him out and she dropped this dude and we we walk another 10, 15 feet, and we get to where my friends are, and I stop, and she's kind of far behind me, I said, why'd you get so far behind? She goes, that guy, that guy touched me. I go, who? And like, I'm ready to go kill this guy. My my rage took over. I go, who? And she goes, that guy, and she points at this guy, and this dude is just getting up off the floor, holding his face. Man, I never laughed so hard in my entire life. (laughs) This is fantastic. So right from there, I knew she was a keeper. I said, all right, she can handle her own. This is pretty good. Um, As we progressed and moved on in our relationship and uh, we started the gym. We opened our first gym together and she's been pretty much running the gyms this entire time with me. You know, she she teaches all the classes with me. Uh, she's, she runs her own classes. She, you know, does all the, the back end business stuff of it. So she was a huge, huge, huge help uh, to get all this stuff done while I was juggling my job and martial arts and everything together. So that's yeah, been, it's a big blessing to have that. And then as we got, as we had kids, Later on, my kids, who first started out, obviously, as my students, and they were kind of growing up through the ranks, eventually they became my assistant instructors in the kids' class, which to me is, like, the coolest thing on the planet. You know, like, to have your wife next to you teaching class and your kids on the mat assisting, man, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, so those, those are some of the greatest greatest memories of, of teaching and training and owning a gym is having the whole family together on the mat and just, you know, training together and doing stuff. So it's kind of cool. Um, my kids, still come with me and Sandra, my wife comes with me sometimes to do seminars and they'll help out doing seminars and stuff, which is super, super cool. So it's good. It's important to have a support, you know, a good supporting background.
0: You're building your own legacy and hopefully your kids can continue that with, if they have kids too.
1: I hope so. I sure hope so. You know, <laughs> right now they're, 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 they're older teenage boys now. So, uh, 17 and 19 years old, so they have other things on their mind than martial arts at the moment. <laughs> you
0: know, out, oh, yeah. out
1: chasing girls and dating and doing whatever they're doing, but hopefully they'll come back to training full time again sometime in the near future.
0: That's okay. But, I'm uh, sure. but
1: they're still in, in it, you know, so that's good.
0: I'm sure that you set. I, I'm sure you set uh, a solid foundation for them. So uh, I think they'll be all right. Sure. You mentioned Billy Robinson, and, uh, you know, this, this podcast is a lot more on, um, how your small business and how you grew it, but, you know, not a whole lot of people know who Billy Robinson is um, unless you study catch wrestling, but I know he, he had a huge influence on your life, right? Uh, because uh, you, is he one of the reasons why you started the old school grappling uh, catch wrestling association? Kind of. Um, kinda...
1: So, yeah, I started, uh, well, originally I started, me and Joel Bain started snake pit USA together. Uh, yeah. under Billy so you know we were training together and uh yeah Billy was was kind of the the platform that started the whole deal up you know he was my my inspiration and, and you know a mentor you know so um when I we started that worked on that and then when I left the east coast and I came out to the to the west coast I started old school grappling and you know we're still friends and me and Joel are still friends with buddies and and we still support each other but it was easier for him to stay with Snake Pit over there on the East Coast, and you know, running out of the East Coast, I should say, and me to run old school grappling out of the West Coast and just go that route. Um, we both have affiliates all over the place and everywhere else, but uh, but yeah, Billy was the main main focus that brought me to kind of want to formalize something for catch wrestling. And so when I started old school grappling, my goal was to try to preserve as much as what Billy taught as possible, and anything else I could find that was taught to him or around him or from him, you know, everything that spiraled around Billy Robinson, that's what we try to focus on to try to really preserve that Billy Robinson uh, legacy. You know, we want to just follow his lineage and, and bring it down the line. So that's, that's kind of what we, where we went to with our old school grappling. And I love it. I really do. I mean, it's, it's just a, it's just a life's passion is all it is. You know, it's, it's so much, just so much stuff goes into this, so many details and so much little, subtle nuances that that make things just tighter, better, more efficient that Billy would teach. And uh, that that was a major, major impact on my life as a coach and as starting up old school grappling.
0: Now, I know uh, you got a different uh, association than Snake Pit, but do you and Joel ever bounce bounce ideas off each other um, nowadays Uh, or even when you started this because you started Snake Pit together? So. Yeah, not too much.
1: Uh, we yeah, no. We we just kind of we each have our own our own thing, but I mean, we came from the same place, so we already have the same ideas, you know. So yeah. everything was taught to us from Billy, and we kind of there's a lot of similarities in what we do because we're taught from the same guy. So it you know it all kind of just kind of makes its own way, and it, it all kind of just jives out. But um, we were supposed to do a, a seminar together uh, last year. It was going to be me, Joel, and Jake Shannon from Scientific Wrestling. And that was going to be, I was really looking forward to that. It was going to be a, a powerhouse seminar. That would have been a blast. Um, but unfortunately, we had to, had to cancel it. Some issues came up and we had to postpone it. And uh, we were supposed to postpone to the spring. And then, well, here we are now with all this coronavirus nonsense. So that ever took place. But, uh, but yeah, so we still plan to work together and, and, you know, do some joint seminars and tournaments or whatever else and support each other in any way we can. It's just two different organizations. That's all.
0: Yeah. So the catch wrestling um i'm gonna I'm gonna go down a, a rabbit hole here a little bit um catch wrestling is pretty big on the east coast, right bigger yeah. than, bigger than the west coast in your opinion, why do you think it's it hasn't really caught on like say in the California? I know there's some places in Southern California that do catch wrestling, but you know there's a lot more East Coast catch wrestling than there is west Coast. Uh, why do you think that is? exposure to it was there,
1: you know, from the beginning, I mean, I've been, I was teaching catch back there in, in the nineties, you know, teaching catch wrestling out there. And, you know, people were exposed to it from the beginning before jujitsu took over the entire world. And, uh, you know, I think that was a big influence. And then uh, with us opening up snake pit USA out there, our headquarters was out of the East coast. So it made sense for all our first affiliates for all East coast guys, you know, so we affiliated out from the East coast, so it kind of just spread from that. I think that was the major, major factor out there was that we launched Snake Pit from the East Coast and, you know, with my previous training, teaching guys out of there and just exposing people to catch wrestling, it was just a starting point. That's all it was, you know. Now, since then, it's obviously gone viral. It's so, you know, now it's awesome to see that now you can go almost anywhere and a good majority of people are starting to know, at least heard of catch wrestling. You know, ten years ago, you you told somebody you did catch wrestling. They look at you like you had six heads, and they say, "Oh, you jump off you know jump off cages and hit people with chairs." And <laughs> it's like, no, it's not not that kind of wrestling, you know. Uh, but now people at least understand it. You hear announcers talking about it in fights every now and again, which is super cool to hear. So you know, it's it's since spread pretty pretty wide across the world, and it's got a long way to go. We're just getting traction now, so it's it's really going to go further and faster.
0: Yeah, I. Uh... So, I first heard about catch in an interview that I listened to with uh, Neil Melanson and he mentioned catch wrestling. I was like, Oh, okay. This is when I started jujitsu um, three years ago. So, and I was just like, Oh, what's this about? And then I just, I just started studying, studying. And then um, now going into the business side of your venture of old school grappling um, you're spreading it in a different way. Right. Because since, you know, you're trying to spread it, through your online courses, right?
1: Yeah. So we have at old school grappling. We have a couple of different things. Um, we have our student memberships where guys can join and become just a student member. And there's, uh, almost 200, maybe uh, might even more than 200 now is a, a ton of uh, instructional video clips in the student member database and they can log into that and they have access to it. And as a student, they're able to, uh, test for rank. We have a ranking system in place at old school grappling and, uh, then we have our affiliates, our affiliate memberships, are gym owners all over the world that want to add catch wrestling to their gym. And we have this full affiliate program in place where even if a guy has never done grappling, let's say if it's a, just a traditional karate school or Taekwondo school or whatever, um, our affiliate program is broken down to where guys can take that, become affiliates, have a curriculum to follow, and then teach catch wrestling out of their gym under our guidelines. So we keep a very strict guideline to make sure people are teaching it correctly and not just making it some hokey pokey, you know, nonsense and calling it catch wrestling. Um, Then they they have, they host seminars at their gyms. We hold coaches camps uh, three times a year, minimum three times a year in the U S and once a year in Europe. Um, So we do this coaches camps, which a couple days, two days of training on that aspect. And then now we have the uh, live online training, which is, phenomenal i absolutely love it because it uh it gives me an opportunity to train one-on-one with or one you know if you have a partner or whatever individually with people who can't get to access to a catch wrestling gym because there's a lot of people out there that they i get messages all the time hey there's no gym in my area what can i do well now you can go to our online program and we can set up private lessons we do them via zoom and we set up our zoom lessons and uh we do one hour lessons And you can have a training partner or a grappling dummy, as you know, which we've trained with. You've had both in your training. Yeah, absolutely. And And, uh, so it works out really well. Um, This online program has been fantastic, especially with this whole coronavirus thing going around. And guys can't get out and train. Um, So this one-on-one training at home is really working out well. Um, It's funny because it's something I planned on doing before I left New Jersey. Uh, the guys, when I left New Jersey, the school kept running after I left New Jersey, uh, and, and we had someone else took it over and whatever else. And uh, when I left, the guy said, hey, when, when you leave, maybe we can set up, like, Skype at the time. They were saying, we, maybe we set up a Skype class, and you can teach from your house, and we'll set up a big TV screen here at the gym, and we can do, like, a, a, a Skype thing. And you can teach from Arizona in our New Jersey gym. And that's been on my mind since, since then I've been talking about doing it. I kept on talking about it and I kept putting it on the side burner and I said, oh, I'll get to it eventually. And then, uh, finally I just said, you know what, with all this bullshit going on with this coronavirus, it's time to do it. Let's just try it. And, uh, I launched it and I absolutely love it. You know, we've, we've gotten a, gotten to train with some really good people and I got to train a couple of international people, which is super cool. And a lot of people in different States that I never would get to. So it's, it's really, really cool. Uh, I'm happy we did it, and uh, I got something big coming down the line. I can't talk about it just yet. Okay, hey, that's no fine. Big. That's fine.
0: But give everybody a teaser. Yeah. That's fine. Um, yeah, so that how, how how long have you been doing the the online thing? Because um, uh, I, uh, I, you know, I I I saw it pop up on my Instagram, and I I've been following you for a while. So it's only been not that long, right?
1: Yeah, it's only been a few months.
0: Okay, um,
1: I just started up yeah, just a few months ago. And uh, yeah, it just kind of, it kind of fit. It just took off. And, and, you know, I really like training with people one-on-one and the people who have signed up and signed up for the, the online training are people who really want it. You know what I mean? It's not just guys who stumble into the gym and are like, yeah, you know, I just kind of want to do this sort of, and half-ass it. Guys who who are interested in, in sign up these online lessons, they're serious. They've done their research. they they've, know that they want to learn some catch wrestling from a credible source. So it works out really good because I have dedicated people who understand what catch is about. And I really, I really enjoy that. It's so much fun to just, you know, get to interact with the people and and see what they like to work on and work on their game as well as our curriculum. You know, we break it down and go through our curriculum as well. And and it's just, it's super cool, man. So it's still in its its infancy, but it's, uh, it's also a great start.
0: Yeah, I liked it. Um, although, you know, sometimes there can be, it, it's hard to be so far away from a student, especially if you're trying to teach them certain techniques and you can't do a full 360 around them to actually right. uh, see how they're doing the technique, right? Um, is that, that's probably one of the hardest things.
1: That's definitely one of the biggest challenges. And, you know, we'll find ourselves halfway through a technique and I'll say, Hey, could you stop right there and, and, you know, turn your body, face the camera or face this way or that way. So I can get a better view. Um, You know, nothing, nothing ever is going to replace mat time. You know, nothing replaces mat time. Hands on mat time is always going to be the top. But if you can't get that, this is definitely the next best thing where I can walk you through it in detail. And then hopefully at some point down the road, we get to train in person. And then, you know, I'm I'm really hoping that a lot of these people from the online, We'll be able to come out to a coach's camp or make it to a seminar where I can actually have hands-on mat time with them, and then we can really fine-tune some details. But they could have a, a really good, solid base to work from.
0: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I know. I'm looking forward to hitting one of your coaches' camps, uh, maybe in the near future. Um, mainly just, you know, to to meet you in person and to to meet other catch wrestling guys right on um
1: yeah the camp's they're always cool the camps you get to meet all the instructors from all the different areas and stuff and sometimes we have our international guys come in and it's super super cool to to hit that catch wrestling community and see how different people do different things it's definitely a cool deal
0: awesome hey uh so i wanted to jump back a little bit i know um some of your achievements were with the military i got a lot of military friends um can you explain do you still do things for the military uh for units in your area now or was it was that just back in the new jersey area
1: i haven't linked up with anybody out here yet um, but it's just something i love to do it's a passion of mine um i'm a huge patriot so anything i could do to support any of our troops uh, i'll do in a second um everything i did with the military was just just awesome man it was so much fun I was the head coach for the 98 division on Fort Dix and, um, we got to do some really cool stuff. We did a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, small, uh, tournaments, different styles of tournaments over there. And then, uh, in 2012, they gave me a a team to work with. We had a, we had a very short time to work. We only had, I think it was 10 days or 12 days, whatever it was. Um, they gave me a group of guys and girls and, and they said, all right, we want you to get these guys ready for the, uh, all army combative tournament in fort hood texas i was like man we got our work cut out for us so we did full days you know full i think they were eight hour days or whatever we were doing six seven hour days of training every day for you know two weeks straight to get these guys in and ready for this tournament and uh they go out to fort hood for the All army combative tournament and they flew us all out there and uh first round is grappling second round is pancration style with open hand strikes to the face close fist to the body and submissions and if you make it to the finals, then you do MMA in the cage. And it was an absolute blast to to work with everybody to get ready for that tournament tournament, do all that stuff. And um, outside of that, I did a lot of uh, other stuff with them, with the military guys. I was able to work. Uh, Joel hooked me up with the Air Force guys. Uh, he was a master sergeant in the Air Force, and uh, so he hooked me up with the Air Force guys, and I was able to help put together the Air Force TTP for. Uh, response to an active shooter and office environment so we got to do some weapons retention weapons disarms and we built that whole ttp for for them to work from which was super cool and uh i wrote the blade and blunt weapon uh program for the air force but it never I never made it through the red tape so they never used it but it was super cool to do that work with those guys with that stuff as well and uh yeah it was just it's just awesome it was awesome to to give back and be able to just support and work with and help anybody out that i could and it just, man, I love doing that stuff. I really do. Being in the fight house down there at Fort Picks was some really, really good times.
0: Nice. Um, so in your career, what 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 pushes you to be always at 100% ready? And uh, do you have a certain routine that gives you your mind, like, clarity and your body ready for all your endeavors? I think being a lifelong martial artist,
1: my mind doesn't know anything else other than to move forward and be ready, you know, just, that's all I, I know is like, my brain is programmed to only just not accept anything less than the best you can do. You know, like I've competed in powerlifting, I competed in bodybuilding, I you know, competed in martial arts tournaments of all kinds and striking, grappling MMA, all, all that stuff. And in all of it, my, my, mindset is always, there is no quit. There is no easy, easy day today. There is no, you know, we're going to, we'll just kind of get through this. Everything is always hundred percent high speed, drive forward headstrong and that's always been my mentality since i was you know a kid um and i think that's you know when you when you do this stuff for this long that just gets ingrained in you and it's funny because it makes me a better coach but i'm a lot less compassionate <laughs> as far as uh, as far as you know people getting little bumps and bruises if someone's hurt i get to hurt but like you know guys will tell me all the time oh man i took a bad leg kick i'm like well suck it up get back in there you you didn't break nothing you know this no reason to stop because you got a leg kick. You get in there and you fight until it's done. Um, you know, so that's just kind of my mentality. I train with guys in you know, different gyms. We go to different places, and we start working gnarly crossfaces and neck cranks. And it's a common thing. You know, people are like, oh, my God, that's brutal. Well, not by what I'm used to. I'm used to doing this. This is what my, my brain is wired to do. And, you know, I'm getting cross faced and getting faced. It's just part of training, you know. But uh, so it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of compassion when people, you'll, you'll hear me make a lot of jokes when I, when I teach or train somewhere, and uh, if somebody complains about getting cross-faced or leg-locked or something like that, I'll just kind of more so poke fun at them than, than say, oh, my God, you okay? You know, I don't coddle people. It just is what it is. Um, but then I, my balance is being out in the woods. You know, when I, I go out, when I need to kind of center myself and take a step back from that hard-headed, charge-forward mentality, I go hunting. I go sit in the woods and I sit in my in, in nature and I kind of get to my peaceful place and I meditate. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of how I balance everything. I get my, my hard charger kind of get after it, catch wrestling, MMA type mentality. And I balance it with my meditation and relaxation out in nature, whether it's hunting or hiking or mountain climbing or whatever, kayaking, whatever I'm doing, if I just get out in the woods and that's, that's where I kind of decompress and, and kind of kind
0: of center myself hey, you got the old school mentality because i feel like uh you know there's too much of this uh in the new age is too much uh everybody gets a trophy type thing so uh I, I yeah i'm a fan of the old school where you know it's all hard work and um if you if you come up short come up short, work harder and uh get that get that trophy next time
1: absolutely 100 percent. you know that that all circles back to what we talked about in the beginning as a, as I was a kid, I didn't like that, you know, team, team sport thing because I didn't want to have someone else rest my way, you know, carry my weight or, or I had to carry their weight. I believe that you either get your trophy by earning it or you don't. That's it. <laughs> there is no participation trophy. There is no, you know, you, you had a good effort, you know, it's good. You had a good effort, but you learn from it. You don't, you know, you got to take it. You got to learn from it. You can't just, Show up and expect the world to to give you something. You got to put the work in. You got to put the effort in. You got to earn it. And when you earn it, you'll feel really a whole lot better about it
0: than if somebody just hands it to you. Definitely. Um, So you've been running a a martial arts business for a long time. What are some uh, some advice you could give? Maybe someone listening wants to open up their own gym. Uh, What were some of the things that you faced um, that you can give maybe to Give them a better jump start.
1: Well, the biggest thing is always gonna be financial. You know, for ninety percent of the population, when everybody's afraid to open the gym because of the financial situation. And and that was me. You know, I started my first gym with eight hundred, literally eight hundred dollars and two fold out mats. That's what I started with. I had no I had no money to invest in. We just bought a house in, in New Jersey and we had all our money tied up and everything else we had, and I didn't have nothing extra to put into a school. So I found a, a you know the cheap sublease place. I subleased a spot. I bought two Swain mats and a crash pad. That was it. That was my $800 was spent right there. And uh, the little folding the Swain folding mat, or not Swain, uh, whatever they were, tip and, tip and folding mats, and the crash pad. And that's what I started with. But I had to get uh, kind of creative with my marketing because I didn't have the budget to go out and do you know fancy ads and stuff. And you know I started my gym in in 2000, and it was not. You know, there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. You know, we didn't have nothing for social media. So we had to go out and do old school flyers. That was my biggest thing. And and I tell people to this day, flyers are such an underestimated way to get students to your gym to start up. So people who are looking to start, find an inexpensive place to sublease, get you some, some flyers printed up, something that's good, and go out and hand out flyers to people. Get Interact with the public. Let them meet you. Let them see your personality because martial arts – business is exactly that it's a business it's not just going in it doesn't your skill alone is not enough you, people don't know who you are so they're not gonna they're gonna say all right well that guy's a whatever belt and whatever style or whatever level and whatever style and then to them that doesn't mean anything but if you get out there and, and meet people and you talk to people and interact with people and hand out flyers you'll get to interact with their personality and you can actually people will see your energy and if you have good energy and you're a good person and you have the right intentions people will come to your gym you know, so that the biggest thing is is start small. Don't be afraid to get started and get out there and interact with people. That to me, that's the the best way to start a business.
0: What do you find is your biggest um, numbers as far as like children, uh, like your sign up your member numbers? Is it uh, like your your like the the kids classes, um, your everyday hobbyists? Not everybody wants to be a ultimate fighter, so you're going to have a few of those, right? So. I can imagine it's right. either kids or uh, your everyday hobbyist, right?
1: Yeah, and it, it's that's funny you ask that because that's exactly how I modeled my gym out here. When I was in the East Coast, my school had a full schedule. We had a kids class. We had a killer kids class. We had a huge kids class with a bunch of little savages. Man, they were they were awesome because we taught with that old to, old school mentality to the kids as well, and they they learned to earn what they earned and and work hard for it. Um, but we had a huge kids class, so yeah, kids is definitely a huge thing as far as. Uh, supporting your business, for income, for your business. A kid's class is tremendous. Um, regular students or your average Joes, hence the name of my gym now, average Joes, are the other major part of the business. You know, There's only a handful of people who actually want to fight. A lot of people think they want to fight until it's time to put the work in. When it's time to put the work in, you, the truth always comes out on the mat. You know, They get out there and they start doing hard work and they drop off fast. Then you have a handful of hardcore fighters that want to stay and fight but those guys usually don't have a whole lot of money. So you wind up with the average Joes. So when I moved out to to Arizona, I said, you know what? I think the average Joe is the person that I really enjoy training the most. I like training guys who, or, you know, everyone who doesn't particularly have a fight mentality or they have it, they don't know it yet, you know, and they just want to start out by getting in shape. And those are the people I really love to train because when they come in, they have no expectations. They have no, no, you know, crazy ideas in their head of going to some, you know, big top of the line show in two months, you know, they just want to come in and have fun and work out. And then you can kind of mold them and guide them and, and make their life better, get them in better shape, get them thinking better, get them eating better, get them just mentally better overall. And then little by little, you start to reveal that some of them have a fight potential, you know, and then they start wanting to fight and they want to compete and they want to push themselves. And it's, it's so cool to see that transition from somebody who's, you know, just coming in to get in shape to all of a sudden now they're competing and winning tournaments or medals or fights or whatever. So the, the average Joe is really the heart of the school, in my opinion, you know, you have the, the kids are the main, uh, main source of of income. Then the average Joe is the heart of the school and the fighters are the ones who get out there and put it all on the line to represent you. And those, you know, those are the guys you put the extra work in with and you push them harder, you push them further, you, you try to really bring them to their best potential they could possibly be and you push them to their level. So um yeah, I, I think that's how it breaks down the best. Out here in Arizona, I only teach adults. I don't teach kids out here anymore. Um that's just a, you know, choice I decided to make. I taught kids for 20 some odd years and I loved it, absolutely love it. And I do kids uh kids catch wrestling seminars and stuff like that and I love doing that. I just don't have the time or uh, energy to put into the kids classes. Kids classes do demand a lot of energy. Um, so I don't have that time and energy anymore to put into that. I have so much other stuff going on. So I only teach adults out here, but, uh, but 13 and up. But, uh, yeah. But yeah.
0: The, I find also, uh, you know, I started real late. You know, I was 30 when I started. But, you know, the fighters, they already – you know they're confident already because they want to be a fighter. And they've probably, in the past, you know, they've been in fights many times. But, you know, the the average Joe, as you say – uh, it builds a lot of confidence, uh, not on, not not just uh, seeing, looking in the mirror and seeing like your physical appearance, but I know without my grappling, I would probably still be in the field working and not make that move and have the confidence to take on the challenges of getting into the office in my line of work too. So that's one cool thing I like about average shows, right, of, yeah. it, it, of anything, right, the, it's a confidence builder. Absolutely, a hundred
1: percent. I mean, yeah, I get, I hear it all the time, and it, it's, you know, there's no, no greater compliment in life than to hear somebody tell you that, yeah, man, you know, I was in bad, in a really bad place. I was mentally messed up, physically messed up, whatever the case was. And after training for X amount of time, my whole life has turned around. You know, now I'm in great shape. I'm, I'm thinking clearly. My, my mental presence is so much better. Man, there, there's nothing better in life to hear that you've changed somebody's life you know uh, one of my old judo instructors used to say to teach is to touch a life forever and it's the truth you know if you put your heart into what you're doing and you really give out to the community and you teach those people with from your heart you can change lives for the better in so many ways i mean it's it's amazing it's, it's really amazing what uh, martial arts can do with people
0: and i think that's why you probably went toe-to-toe and any small successful martial arts gym can always go toe-to-toe with uh high corporate businesses this goes for any small business it's because your passion and heart is in your clients and the corporate gyms they just want the numbers uh absolutely i think that's why you stood toe to toe i agree 100 percent. yeah that's that's very accurate um so just just to wrap this up a little bit uh, i don't want to take too much of your day but um what What kind of books uh you can name one maybe two books that that you really like to read and just kind of like go back to um, or any books that you can recommend to others that uh want to progress forward i, I like to I like the mental game of life so uh, mm-hmm. is there any books that you you'd like to uh read there are uh,
1: in my martial arts career like I said I've been all over the board I've done so many different things. And, I have a very heavy influence uh, of Japanese martial arts in my life. I did a lot of kendo. I did a lot of Iido and swordsmanship and very strict traditional stuff. And uh, with that came the love of Budo, the the true martial way. And um, I think, you know, learning a lot about the samurai culture and and the the traditional Japanese martial art culture has influenced me tremendously. And uh, two books that I really, really absolutely love are uh, the Book of Five Rings, Musashi's book, of course. Um, I think that's a phenomenal book for, for martial arts and life in general. It's just so much just knowledge in that book. I absolutely love it. And there's another book called Zen in the Martial Arts. It's a little small book. It's a, you know, I forget how many pages it is. It's a thin little book. Um, the cover is a white page with a, a black belt on the cover. And it's just about meditation and, and uh, centering yourself and, and just, you know, just hold the whole mental aspect of it. And those two books I've gone back to dozens of times over the years and i've recommended them out to you know tons of people over the years as well um but they're both excellent excellent reads and i think they're really important for a martial artist and you know there's a difference between a fighter and a martial artist i think i think all fighters in my opinion should be martial artists first and then fighters second and that gives you more of a balance as opposed to a guy who just wants to go out and just you know bang out and throw down and there's nothing wrong with that either but um i think that that balance is important, needing that, that spiritual, mental background to go with the physical abilities of fighting. So, those two books, I think, uh, would be my, my highest recommendations.
0: Awesome. Hey, and I'll, I'm going to just post these in the show notes too. So, if, and maybe some links so if uh, people are interested in those books, uh, I'll, I'll post those up. Um, one more, uh, two more things. Um, what's since this is Leave It to versus podcast? Um, what's one piece of advice uh for life or business people uh that you'd want to leave with them uh, my biggest piece of advice is
1: don't quit on anything that you feel passionate about you you can go much further and much longer than you think you can your brain will tell you to quit way before your body and spirit will let you quit so my, my that's my advice don't quit on your passion follow your dreams and chase them headstrong
0: awesome is there a you, did you want to shout out all your social medias um, for people to follow and, you know, your websites too as well and where they could where they could find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, my website, you can go to oldschoolgrappling.com, and that's all of our catch wrestling stuff. Um, we've got a ton of stuff on there. There's everything from, you know, whatever, history, techniques, videos, and there's a shop and all kinds of great stuff on there. We've got a ton of gear on there. Um, oldschoolgrappling.com average joes is our gym website check it out and then on on uh facebook you can follow me john potenza uh old school grappling on facebook as well uh instagram old school grappling catches old school grappling CACC on instagram and average joes on all those as well so average joes mma instagram average joes mma on facebook so yeah follow us on a lot of stuff and uh, we always have some stuff going on so i'm always posting things up um Everything else is up there. And Also, on a side note, just check out the Toehold Tribe. That's one of our side ventures. Uh, Toehold Tribe is just a, a cool little community we're building up. Um, it's just uh, – there's no fees, no, no affiliations. Everybody's welcome to join it. It's just a place where people who like catch wrestling are welcome to come together and meet. And we're putting this huge directory together of uh, gym uh, – we call them tribes, Toehold Tribes. And all of our tribes that, that accept catch wrestlers or people who do leg locks, neck cranks, or whatever else, they can post their their uh, addresses in there, and that way, when you're traveling, you know where you can go and train. So, uh, where well, you're welcome to go and do your leg locks and everything else. So, Towa Tribe is also on Instagram, Facebook, and the Tribe.com.
0: Awesome. So, Average Joe's, that's in uh, Prescott, Arizona. Uh, so, if anyone is yep. listening and is ever out there, I would recommend stopping through there. Seems like a, a very awesome gym man. Who knows, I might, I might roll down there sometime uh, if I head to Nevada. Hey, John, uh-huh. I, I, I appreciate uh, the time you gave me, and I appreciate all the your story. Uh, it, it's an awesome story. I got to know you a little bit better, and uh, I'm not just in the catch world, just uh, your life in general, and I appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. It's been a blast.
0: Yeah, thank you.